Scratchman. Welcome everybody to episode 110 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. My name is Ben. And I am David. And uh, what are we what are we going to be talking about this week, David? Scratchman! 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 <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about Scratchman, um, yeah. which is the long... Well, I was going to say long-awaited. 40 years in the making. Yeah, long-awaited maybe putting it a bit strongly, but it's a, uh, <laughs> um, it's a new book by Tom Baker. Yeah, with James Goss, who... With James Goss, yes. Uh, did, I think, the majority of writing, uh, if, I, if reading between the lines. and Yeah. It's very, very reminiscent of other books written by James Goss. Have you, have uh, his you, City you... of Death novelization and uh, uh, Doctor right. Who and the Cricketman. And... Yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to jeep, leap ahead, but maybe we could... I haven't, I haven't read anything else by mm-hmm. James Goss, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but um, we can talk about that later. Anyway, yeah. um, so, but this is based on a, a I think, a, well, okay, let's be honest, probably a pub lunchtime conversation <laughs> Yes. between Ian Marta and Tom Baker circa about 1974. 74, 75, yep. right when they were doing Series 12, or yep, at, they were, just they, after Series 12. Yeah, they were in the pub, uh, either at lunchtime, in which case, probably at lunchtime, because it probably took all afternoon um, to put this together. So, you know, started drinking about 12, mm-hmm. uh, knocked <laughs> off knocked off at, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock in the evening. And um, they came up with a, uh, a draft for a what they, want, what they thought would be a Doctor Who movie. Yes. And uh, they actually got a they commissioned a script to be written from their they notes did. from their uh, from their uh, cocktail napkins and oh, oh. <laughs> they tried to pitch it to various BMX, British yeah. movie houses. This was a time actually when well actually this is the tail end of a mysterious kind of boom. It was the kind of last gasp of the British film industry as right. was, and there was a boom in. T- popular TV shows being made into movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Sweeney movie, you have the Morecambe and Wise movie, uh, you have the On the Buses movies, oh my <laughs> God. Um, you have the Are You Being Served movie. Right. Uh, you have what are actually quite good. You have the uh, sort of almost a favorite of mine, which is the Dad's Army movie, um, mm. which went very well. So it was a, it was, I think it was a, you know, it was an attempt by, you know, British movie moguls as were to capitalize on popular TV properties and try, mm-hmm. you know, and reboot, restart what was basically a dying industry in Britain. Right. Thanks, thank you, Hollywood. Um, <laughs> uh, thanks, America. Um, to reinvigorate the British film industry. And of course that failed. So I, 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 my assumption here is Baker, who obviously had been in movies. He was right, in Hammer. Yes. He was in Hammer Horror movies. Uh, he was Rasputin in right. something. In, uh, Golden Voyage of Sinbad. That is a classic Sinbad film. If you've not seen Sinbad films, I recommend them. Seventh Voyage Indeed. of Sinbad Indeed, yes. is extremely good. Yes. I'm a big fan of the Sinbad films. And um, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, of course, you know, he'd been... Uh, for fans of, of Tom Baker naked, um, he was in The Canterbury Tales um, <laughs> with uh, uh, directed by the Italian film director... Can't remember the guy's name now, but anyway, yeah. Look, look, look up the country tale. All fans of Naked Tom Baker, um, <laughs> you, you get, get a chance to have your wish fulfilled mm-hmm. by watching the Canterbury Tales. Anyway, yeah. So that's some context. Um, any, you want to add some more context than that, David? 
Yeah, I think this what ultimately what killed it off is they were trying to get it made throughout the mid seventies, but then Star Wars came along and that shut down everything. And sort of like, no, a sci fi movie is not gonna be made on the on the terms that the public now expects with Star Wars, so mm scratch man. Which is weird, of course, because again, you know, those Sinbad films, which were essentially Ray Harryhausen movies mm-hmm. and also Hammer films were awesome and and uh, well yeah they were awesome yeah and when i can easily imagine scratch man being a variety of those the other i think touchstone for scratch i'm going to keep on calling it scratch man rather than <laughs> scratch man scratchman uh, anyway scratch man another touchstone for those would be the uh, some of those amicus films just reading the book i was very much reminded of um something like uh, the dr fibes movies which, again, I'm a huge fan of. Um, those were... Oh, hang on, I'm just going to have to go over and like remember no, everyone's fine. names. Give me a second. Yeah. So the Dr. Fives movies were made by Robert Fuest, mm-hmm. um, who was a director of The Avengers, um, also made a great movie called The Final Program, which was a, an adaptation of the Michael Moorcock, Jerry Cornelius novels. And actually, having just gone over a look at my DVDs, it's Pierre uh, uh, Pasolini was the director of um, The Canterbury Tales with the oh, Naked. All right. uh, very good. With the Naked Tom Baker. And that is a fantastic film. Those, The Trilogy of Life by Pasolini are, are absolutely awesome. Everyone needs to watch those. Anyway. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the point is, Tom Baker was could have been a done. movie actor. Yeah. It was a movie actor. And actually, you know, there was the studio capacity to do this. And, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think comparing this to Star Wars, um, again, film producers are notoriously or film people who fund movies are notoriously conservative and don't like to take risks on things i think if they just thought a little bit more about this this could have been and got the right director on board so like you know robert fuest style director one of the hammer directors i i mean this could have been a really it could have been a a kind of a cool film to be honest in my opinion it could have even been like a python-esque film too in the 70s yeah i mean basically i mean it, it could have been done and i think you know the the kind of dead hand of star wars <laughs> kind of suffocated you know killed mid, everything off yeah, yeah kind of mid to low budget sci-fi especially in britain right um is 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 and also on tv as well is is a is a is a shame which is really, really too bad, too, because most of Star Wars that wasn't on location was filmed on British sound stages. Right. With British actors. Exactly. <laughs> well, from, from the Hammer films. Uh, David Prowse, you know, Darth <laughs> yeah. Vader, you know, famously got his, his West Country, West Country burr <laughs> um, dubbed out by some stupid American. Um, <laughs> James Earl Jones. You know, anyway. So that's yeah. so that's our background for this story. But this story is not uh, fully what would have been in the 1970s. This has been augmented, rewritten, and enhanced. Up. Yeah, and yeah, very much so. There is but, actually but, there is actually an interesting article, and I was going to try and find that out, and then I didn't. I'm sorry, everyone. Um, there is a, a a couple of years ago, Doctor Who magazine did a yeah, did a Scratch yeah. Man uh, analysis with some great illustrations by. Um, Daryl Joyce of because I think the original uh, and this just shows how deeply I, Ma- were, Martin, was it Daryl Joyce I thought it was Brian Williamson are we talking about DWM uh, I'm pretty sure 379 I'm pretty sure there was a Daryl Joyce poster with uh, Vincent Price no, oh I'm mm, I'm not seeing the one with Vincent Price I've seen the one with the the Daleks in and 
Curtis. Maybe maybe I've seen a Vin- maybe I've seen a Daryl Joyce Vincent Price scratchman poster elsewhere. But anyway, it was a pretty good article. Um, Vincent Price was, of course, you know the uh, the first choice of Marta and Baker to play right. the eponymous Scratchman. Just shows how deeply they were thinking about this. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, lately, I guess in the most recent DWM, uh, or not well, almost most recent DWM, that Tom Baker was thinking Leonard Rossiter of uh, the Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin would have made. Harry Scratch or Scratchman. He would have made an excellent Scratchman, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, he very was very suave. Yes, very suave. Uh, you know, just fresh off doing a couple of Stanley Kubrick movies, mm-hmm. um, two thousand and one, uh, and God, my mind's not working today. The other Stanley Kubrick movie that Roster was in, Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. He was in yeah, Barry sorry. Lyndon. Yeah. So there's plenty of suave. It doesn't have to be. You know, doesn't have to be Vincent Price. There's plenty of suave English people who can. You know. Just, it's a shame they couldn't have gone Reg- Roger Delgado, who he would have made an excellent scratch man. It was a comedic role too, and then of yes. course Harry Scratch or uh, Harry Scratch in the nineteen seventies version and Scratch Man, yeah, in or Scratch in the novel, old Scratch uh, wasn't. Uh, you never saw his face. It was always the glowing flame, which I thought was kind of smart actually, because they do make the comment about you know Lucifer and matches. Yeah, and it seemed to me. Oh, yeah. Okay, maybe he's like a living match, uh, with a burning head, like a match has. Yeah. Overall, I think the writing was quite good. I mean, we had speculated that this would have been a little bit of a train wreck, but I didn't get that sense reading it. I thought it was pretty good, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, as it you had s- its moments. It had its moments, as you as you as you point out. You can spot the Bakerisms because there are mm-hmm. you know there are kind of extraordinarily. Well, I guess for anyone else, they'd be kind of labored metaphors throughout. But, you know, now... That's how Tom is. Yeah, just how Tom talks and how he thinks about things. So, I mean, you know, you can spot those all the way through. But I think, you know, it's also, to me, it's kind of obvious. uh, We're not doing... We're basically spoiling this entire book. Yes. Oh, so, yes. Okay, we have set this up. Now we are going to talk about the novel. Uh, Cloister bells are ringing here. This is spoilers. If you haven't read the novel yet or listened to Tom... Read, don't listen further if you don't want spoilers. Exactly, because we're just going to talk about it, I think. Yes, um, yes. Well, actually, let's let's, let's, um, let's talk about the envelope. So I, I ordered the book in book mm-hmm. form. All right. And you ordered the book in audio book form. Yes, I ordered the CD from Old Blighty. Oh, um, and who's that published by? Uh, let's see. Is that Pull BBC? it off my shelf here. Yeah, it's BBC Publishing. Is it Audible or whatever uh, it is? I can't remember. No, well, Audible would be Amazon. Oh, no, right. The CDs are BBC... Physically, it's in a uh, about an inch thick plastic CD holder, one spindle. The uh, crack it open. The CDs are all sitting on top of each other. And how many uh, hours? How many hours of listening is that? Uh, I believe it was eight hours and forty minutes. And does Tom read the whole thing? He does, except for the Cybermen voices, which are voiced by Nick Briggs. Oh, but they're Nick. so minimal, right. and it's they a very seventies style. It's definitely the seventies style Cybermen. Oh, revenge! Which are a little right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, other sound effects? Uh, not so much, but there is music that would bleed in between the various chapters. Cool. Um, does Tom do funny voices? He does. Are they good? So much. It is wonderful. I couldn't imagine uh, reading or consuming this as a book without having Tom Baker reading because really? he adds so much to the performance. Right. I think the book would be honestly a little dry. 
But with his performances, this has become, as we've commented elsewhere, a good actor can elevate a, a, a mediocre script. And I'm not saying that this is mediocre, but he brings he brings so much of himself into this that uh, my impression of this is it's very autobiographical. This is Tom conflating himself with the Doctor, right. and this this story you you can feel. You can feel this co- this coexistence that he's had for the past forty plus years of being Doctor Who. Do they differentiate the Time Lord interludes? Are those kind of is there a different sound mix or something? The, uh, the it's the same little uh, musical interlude between them, but okay. then atmospherically there isn't going on uh, it's just tom reading so you don't hear like the uh, winds or something uh, and scottish moors or anything like that so that isn't there but tom is acting this he isn't reading this so you you see his when he loses his temper when he gets angry at the time lords or a scratch that uh it's more than just reading and plus he would add various bits in between like chapters like he'll say like chapter 14 you'll love this bit and stuff oh like really that. oh he does some yeah. Tomisms in between awesome mm-hmm. and then also like he would be laughing at his own jokes or it's very much and and then since narratively this takes place in the first person it just seems to fit very flow. It's very Genesis of the Daleks uh, vinyl record where I stepped from the TARDIS bit. Where right. It's all about Tom Baker as Doctor Who's perspective. Right, right. Which is, I, which I thought was, I mean, so I, I, I got the book. The book is published by BBC Books. It's mm-hmm. obviously, it's a hardcover currently. They're trying to flog as many of those as possible. How many uh, pages? Uh, let's just do a quick page count. Back of the book. It is uh, 200 and... 95 pages oh, so good size book just under 300 well the print is big <laughs> it's uh, so yeah well, it's, it's big enough so tom could read it he's getting old e- exactly exactly and it's it's separated into book one and book two the scarecrows book two the pinball game uh, well actually mm-hmm. no book one is the long night book two scratch man book one is the hinchcliffe years book two is the williams years <laughs> williams years there you go <laughs> Uh, yeah, the cover is disappointing. Yes. Very disappointing, actually. Um, I think what, obviously, we'll all be hoping for is a Target-style paperback release, which I may or may not buy, depending on who does the cover. Yeah, it'd be slimmed, slimmed down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a nice, it's, it's a nice book. Um, Mm -hmm. it looks, it's good on the shelves. I'll have to say, it, it wasn't the greatest read. I mean, I think you made the right decision um, mm-hmm. in terms of having Tom read it to you, came around yeah. to your house, and he read it to you every night. Yep, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, it's, it did, certainly reading it as a book, it's, it's well-written enough, right. but not well-written enough to be to be a, good, a well-written book right, um, right, right. and and i i did kind of stop and start a little bit it is super obvious that you know baker and you know obviously martyr and he he thanks ian in the in the, in martyr in, in the acknowledgements yes. um it's the only acknowledgement that there is it's obviously they good, had they a good had, egg i think yeah they had, <laughs> they had three ideas one of which is scarecrows come to life right the second idea was there's a giant pinball game that we get right. trapped in this is why mm-hmm. I think they had this idea in the pub where obviously yep. there was a pinball yep. game. Um, yep. And three, uh, Vincent's Price is the Devil. <laughs> and those are those are the three ideas. And it's yep. and um, 
Well, and they're they're okay ideas. Uh, right. I mean, and uh, the, they don't really knit together very well, no, to be honest. With no, you. The they don't. Book one and book two, there's less cohesion there than you would like. And yeah. Um. However, yeah. <laughs> uh, th- I mean, let's deal with book one first. I mean, the yeah. scarecrows are actually done a lot better than I thought they were going to be. You know, I'm I'm kind of <laughs> over scarecrows. Right. From human nature. Well, in scarecrows in general, to be honest, I mean, you don't see them very often anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you saw them more in the 70s, and the book is definitely set oh, yes. in whatever yes. time Harry and, and Sarah Jane were from. Yeah, so 74, 75, 76. Yeah, yeah I mean, when, when was the last time you saw a scarecrow? I've never seen a scarecrow in a while, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can can anyone tell us the last time they saw a real life scarecrow? They don't really happen anymore. Mm-hmm. And I guess they were scary when Tom was a child. Maybe there were right. lots of them about in right. Liverpool. Um, possibly <laughs> not. Um, working on the docks. Exactly, working down the docks. Um, so again, you know, some over scarecrows. It is actually kind of interesting. Of course, um, the book. It's obvious that Tom's least favorite doctor is John Pertwee. Um, really, I thought I came across as Hartnell as one he didn't care for much. Oh, I, I thought they were they were kind of mm. digs about the you know there there were because he played and... Wurzel Gummidge. And... Yes, of course, who was also a but scarecrow. The, I mean, they could have done more. But that's with that, jumping actually. us into in the second book. Here, that's but... that's that's true. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yes, of course, you know, John Pertwee ended up playing a friendly scarecrow on unfriendly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the kind of body horror aspect of people becoming scarecrows, I thought, was done mm-hmm. remarkably well. Yeah. Um, being trapped inside a church mm-hmm. again, that was reminding me of the. The Eagle has landed actually more than anything else, where obviously Michael Caine is and his German friends are trapped inside a church by Larry right. Hagman. Well, James Goss pitched this uh, first part as Doctor Who meets Wicker Man or Doctor Doctor Who. Yes, so it has the English folklore yeah. aspects yeah. to it, and it it's the body horror Pretty is good. Uh, is quite quite well yeah. done. Uh, the, I, think. I, I noticed that the island, this island which they're on, uh, again seemed to oscillate wildly between being on Scotland in Scotland and in England, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. It also didn't seem to, it wasn't really very well built out as a place um i didn't really get a strong impression of what season we were in seemed wintry because there wasn't crops then they were having a picnic that seemed to vacillate i mean i don't know how many of you have been to the scottish islands in the winter time (laughs) no you're not going to have a picnic i can guarantee you that Mm -hmm. that's something even the doctor would not make you do so yeah, so that was I. I think that could have been sharpened up a bit, but um, it was de- it was decently scary. And I, I mean, the the best bits for me is they got whether it was Goss or whether it was Baker. The the interactions between Sarah and Harry and the Doctor I thought were very well done. I really got a strong yes, yes. Sontaran experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, talks about Sarah's yellow yellow cagoule. Uh, really, really, that came across very very strongly and well. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think it uh, also touches on uh, the doctor working, Tom Baker working well with older women. So yes. with the character of Saf, no, Safanim, I can't, Safnonis. Is that actually, I, I was going to Google that. Is, is, I've heard him read it many times and I just still, it still does not roll off the, 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 the lips. The name is S-O-P-A, Saf, O-N, on Nisba, Safanisba. Yeah, that's is, how it is. Is, is. is that a real name? I never looked. I just assumed it was uh, suitably British. Oh, you think we're all called Sophonisper? <laughs> well, yeah, 
Just weird. Okay, names. here we go. All right, I've literally just gone to the internet. So Sophonisba <laughs> was a Carthaginian noblewoman who lived during the Second ah. Punic War and the daughter of Hasdrubal Gizgo Gizgonis. Um, in an act that became legendary, apparently, Sophonisba poisoned herself rather than be humiliated by a Roman triumph. Hmm. Well, I pride myself on knowing lots about everything. I've never heard of her before, and now I have heard of her. So well done for where he got that name from. The form of the name Sophonisba is not known until the 15th century, in a few late manuscripts of Livy. There you go. Well, Hmm. I don't know where Tom got that name from. Uh, It did kind of take me out of the action a little bit because I kept like, uh, hang on, how do I pronounce Mm -hmm. that in my head? But anyway, yeah. What really took me out of the names was Tullock because that is uh, from Terror of the Zygons. So we had the... The shopkeeper, Mavis oh, Tullock, been... when it was Tullock Moore. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I imagine that was tying into Terror of the Zygons, just try to make it referential, but it just seemed, uh, okay, but, uh, but, to, but But I mean, to, to go back to your original point, um, yes, you mm-hmm. know, Tom Baker, certainly in his later years, worked very well with older women. Well, we have in Seeds of, Seeds Doom, of Doom and then uh, Stones, and of, Stones Blood. of Blood. Yes, with some classic old women action there <laughs> and uh yeah and again it fits into you know tom's paul mars kind of love of whimsy um obviously mm-hmm. old women are whim- more whimsical than young women apparently and yep. you know i'm getting very very strong flavors of nest cottage and you know the various old ladies that paul mars mm-hmm. likes to introduce into the action when he possibly can right I think that I think it worked. Yeah, it did. It, it did mean, work. It, 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 as yeah. always worked, and it works equally well with uh, Davison, with a, old, a little bit older, not not quite as old, but more of a, a woman contemporary to our age uh, in the action. But that's that's neither here yes. nor there. Yes, I thought thought the characterization, as you had mentioned, of Harry and Sarah were pretty yeah. spot on, especially of Ian Martyr's portrayal of Harry Sullivan, and just the uh, interaction between. The doctor and Harry and Sarah and Harry were were pretty good. Although there are a little bit of old girl bits in there, then Sarah not protesting, I think, was a missed opportunity. Yeah, and I I, I think it's slightly too far with the with the kind of idiot Harry aspect, which I guess in some ways kind of makes sense because actually, given that the book is primarily written in the well, is written ostensibly in the first person by the doctor mm-hmm. him him or herself <laughs> you know and that i think the doctor always felt that that harry was maybe more foolish than harry actually was i think um mm-hmm. so that makes sense um what what did you think of the whole first person thing it worked with tom narrating it i couldn't imagine him do well actually i can't imagine him because i've heard him read target novelizations like for the right. giant robot and brain of morbius pyramids of mars etc so i think it worked very well and with this type of story which i honestly think is very autobiographical for tom baker He's i think with by scarecrows. the way they i'm joking well not so much <laughs> that but just his his view of being the doctor I think these were conversations that he had with James Goss over lunch right. or the sandwiches or something that it it comes across that this is almost word for word. Just the kind of interviews he's done with Nick Briggs or right. Matthew Sweets that you could you, you can hear his voice coming through. So when he's reading in from the written form, it, it sounds very natural. So I think it was a, a smart narrative choice. And it also it, it becomes 
purely Tom Baker's uh, narrative at that point. Yeah, and I I wonder actually whether maybe this was more written to be read rather than written to be well, written to be read by Tom right. um, rather than to I, be read by I me because it was pretty awkward in on the on the written mm-hmm. page. Um, there's kind of like, and then uh, yes. uh, as I remember Sarah telling me later mm-hmm. on, she felt scared at this particular right. moment. Oh, okay, that's super effing awkward and actually after a while he just doesn't bother to do that right. anymore basically he's just describing um, you know, harry trying to get through a hatch mm-hmm. as if he was standing next to him which of course he wasn't well the framing device that they had with the time lords he's defending himself against the sword of never and the zero nuns and all, all, all very moffat sounding right. yeah. well or very yeah it, it seemed very more uh, graham williams uh if Graham Williams had done Trial of a Time Lord, this is what it would have been like, where he's defending himself in a an academic theater, and there is a, a sword of Damocles, a sword of never hanging above him, and uh, all these uh, Time Lord Catholic nuns querying him and challenging him. And so the very first interaction that we have with the Time Lords is they're saying, well, how in the hell could you have known that because uh, you weren't there and you're making this up? And so they address the elephant in the room, so to speak, you know, that they're uh, omniscient narrators and he can just go back in time and check the record. And so they explain it away narratively. So they address the issue. Right. So, but yeah, it's a little bit awkward at the beginning, I guess. Yes, yeah. But I mean, as I said, I mean, you've quite sensibly said he just kind of forgets about it after mm-hmm. a while um, and doesn't bother to explain that he's no, there's sort of in some ways there's the, the action just to add. He basically, he's the omniscient narrator. narrator. Um, did you did you get a, a sense of classism at all with the uh, the doctor's view of the islanders? Not really. Okay. No, I mean, I think they were, yeah, yeah, re- okay. reasonably accurate Scottish Islanders. Hmm. Okay, I just, I, I well, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that they weren't accurate. I was, what I was saying is that the, like, he would use words like, uh, to, uh, he was accusing uh, Harry when he knocked out the farmer of Shanghaiing rustics and just, just little BBC humor of rural life. Well, I mean, that's always, I mean, from, you know, Mummerset Shire and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, Doctor has always been a little bit dismissive of people who live in the countryside. Yeah, okay. That came across. I mean, I, th- I mean, I mean, I mean, very much, you know, his voice, as you point out, and obviously as you experienced, is, is Tom Baker's voice. And mm-hmm. I think in some ways where it fell down a little bit for me in terms of characterization is that it's bleedingly patently obvious is that the doctor is tom baker and tom baker is the doctor right. um and the doctor as written by tom baker and and, and james goss is basically tom baker well uh, yeah uh, 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 rather than the doctor and you know if, mm-hmm. again if one wants to compare this to you know a terence dicks adaptation of you know genesis of the daleks or you know terror of the zygons that's more the doctor rather than Tom Baker. So right. the kind of the doctor's opinions about things and the way that he mm-hmm. talks and metaphors that he uses and and you know his mental voice, his you know his inside voice, <laughs> that is the technical term, um, is Tom Baker's. Um, yeah. And so that that was a little bit disappointing to me. I mean, it's obviously mm. it's obvious that that would be the case. So I right. don't know why I would. Well, I didn't find it unexpected, but I was like, oh yeah. Well, he's. I mean, I like. I mean, I like Tom Baker, but I like the Doctor more. 
Yeah, he has become the doctor. That is who he is in his uh, senior years here. He's 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 always been playing himself as the character, and more of himself grew into the or became that role during the Williams era once he was uh, out of adult supervision with Hinchcliffe, basically. <laughs> that uh, you know that's that's was the character, and it. He has said in interviews that this has been the happiest time of his life when he was playing the doctor because he had money and he right. had fame. Right. And it, it, the the merging of the two really is, it, it seems complete. And I, I know he knows that he isn't this fictional character, but yet he still is this fictional character. Yeah. yeah. In, and I until, think, until he isn't. Yeah, and I think, you know, given that he's in... You know, what's the word? Twilight of his years. I mean, I think mm-hmm. we can. I think we can give him that actually. Yeah. Um, because mm-hmm. he's a he's an amazing person. So the yes. writing, I, I think, was yeah. uh, so. I mean, it was a, it was a bit uh, touchy in some areas, but some areas I think was quite brilliant. Were uh, just like two early examples of just dealing with Harry, where the Doctor is chiding him for knocking out uh, the farmer Moray. He needed gentle handling, not a caveman's lobotomy, and that's just—it's—it's it's a good image of uh, Harry cold clocking the farmer from behind, and then just describing uh, Harry's awkwardness or clumsiness, where he was grinning, and then he was going to get away with it, and then very the very next step, he steps on the pitchfork, and all the scarecrows snap to look at him, and right, then a little right. bit later with the scarf. Uh, the doctor dropping the scarf down in front of him, and it's for a <laughs> uh, for a brief moment. Harry stared at it, doing his best boggle. Scarves, nicely knitted, stripy scarves, did not, as a rule, just dangle from thin air. So I think there's bits that uh, made me laugh, or I thought were uh, those were good metaphors. Uh, they're good. They're a little, maybe a little Tom Bakery, but this is a Tom Baker vehicle. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you feel about the arrival of the Cybermen, which I was like, oh, I wasn't expecting them to turn up. Mm, well, it was cyborgs in the 70s scripts. So I think that they got the rights for the Cybermen and didn't get the rights for the Daleks a little bit later on in the pinball game. Or oh, maybe was it the supposed to be didn't... the Daleks in the pinball game? Well, the Daleks were in the pinball game, but ah. I think narratively they didn't fit, so they were cut or they, they couldn't get out. the license for them. They didn't really... The Cybermen made sense because they could make a deal with the devil. The Daleks, they wouldn't make a deal with anyone. So. No, they certainly wouldn't. Yes, no, the mm-hmm. Daleks are not, are not deal-making uh, animals. The yeah. Cybermen didn't really have much of a role in the first part, but it does, I guess, explain the the Scarecrows were an attempt of uh, planet-wide cybernization. They were experiments, prototypes of trying to right. cybernize. And it, it, it seemed very Moffat with the... Uh, the Missy episode with the uh, Dark Water, Death in Heaven, where they had the rain falling down and turning all the dead into Cybermen. Yeah, Just, yeah. Uh, didn't didn't really like that, but I guess that was the explanation for this for, for why it was happening. Other than it was the devil, I think I would have been happier with it being the devil setting a trap for the Doctor. But yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, the Cybermen do the well. The Cyber Leader does come into play quite effectively in the latter part. In the latter part, in in book two. Yeah. So, it, it. I mean, it was seated. It was seated fairly well, I think. But yeah. uh, you know, I guess you needed a classic, classic monster. 
Yeah, you did. And you so, did. Yeah. Um, it was well, either going to be Cybermen or Santarans, and Cybermen yeah. work better. Cybermen said to do it better. Um, do you want to skip into book two now and and and, uh, and I'll, I'll be done uh, with this? Let's see. Island well, of the, the Evil Scarecrow. There's a lot going on. Uh, the, the stuff with Safanista I thought was pretty good. She was the hero. We had only really two main islanders. Uh, well, I guess we had three. We had the farmer. We right. had uh, Mavis Tullock, the shop owner, the and evil then we shop had owner. Yeah. Sap- Safanista, who was the heroine, uh, the the one who. The, the the pseudo companion the, right. for the doctor the the companion who could die to show that the, how high the stakes were right yes uh, the whole idea about running and the doctor running through corridors and, and just running saying that's and how the time lords would look down on running i thought was interesting and that that how running was in the doctor's words was joining in with the fun of the universe right was interesting observation yeah, yeah. What did you think of the various, um, the the various bits of techno babble with Artron energy battery packs and yeah. and uh, and the moth, the yeah, moth cannon? The mo- I, I thought that was an uneasy conflation of Tom Baker whims- whimsy, who's mm-hmm. obviously had a brush in with moths quite recently. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He's had his favorite sweater has been eaten by some moths mm. and Dr. Hooness, which is like, it's Artron battery pack. Mm-hmm. So I thought that I thought that was a relatively uneasy mashup. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get all super technical, but it's not the moths that eat your clothes. It's the larvae of the moths. Right. So and they were looking for larvae yeah. initially, but then they felt they well they wanted to incubate them into this Artron incubator, yeah, to turn yeah. them into moths. So yeah, I I yeah I thought that was a little bit. Um, well, maybe the moths laid eggs, and these were uh, supercharged. Supercharged. Uh, I, so that's how I that's that, how I understood it. Is the moths were laying yeah. the eggs, and then the the larvae was supercharged by the Artron energy. But yeah, no, it was a it was a prime prime piece mm-hmm. of whimsy there. It's like you know, what can defeat the enemy? It's the thing that ate my sweater the other week. Um, and yeah. and the and the scenes where Harry returns to the village shop were directly from at least from my understanding from DWM from the nineteen seventies movie script. That's oh, right. that's what uh, Ian Martyr came up for Harry. That just. Uh, totally uh, blissfully ignorant of all the perils and dangers around him and just by ducking and uh stopping abruptly he <laughs> defeats three scarecrows yeah well uh, all uh, un- all unknowingly what did you did you uh, find that yeah no I, I i i was really i mean i was kind of enjoying those bits more actually i, I like the mm-hmm. harry bits because i'm a big fan of harry and i like yeah. enjoying the sarah jane bits Mm-hmm. I'm sort of enjoying more those bits more than the the moth stuff in the church. Mm. Yeah. What what did you? Uh, well, it was also a cute little scene or a nice little scene in there with Harry finding jelly babies to bring back for for the doctor. I thought that was good as well. <laughs> yeah. Though again, I'm I'm not a big fan of jelly babies. Right. Uh, I think that that's been overplayed. I think that's all part of you know the the kind of the baker is the doctor mythology thing i think that was playing playing to the audience actually yes playing to the readership who are expecting Mm -hmm. yo-yos and jelly babies Mm because we all love that first season so much yeah 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 the jigsaw puzzle room in the tardis i like the puzzle room in the tardis um i thought the tardis the tardis was 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 well done i thought the puzzle room was good oh 
The TARDIS looks magnificent, both in book one and book two. If we could get this TARDIS ever to be filmed for a movie or television, this is what the TARDIS is. Very good TARDIS indeed. Yep. One of the better TARDISes that I've had written, uh, that I've read uh, in a book about. Yes, Mm -hmm. no, definitely. Very good TARDIS indeed. And again, whether that's Baker who's writing up this TARDIS or whether it's Goss, I don't know. But they did an excellent job together. I thought the Jigsaw Room is good. I like the explanation for the Jigsaw Room. I thought that worked well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, no, good, good, good. Well, the, the explanation was that this was how they could uh, plot time. I can't, I can't remember what. Yeah, was it was like a way to kind of um, uh, tell your future or or, mm-hmm. or plot the plot the pathway of the future for you or something. Because it should be able to remember. Yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. Was, wasn't until the towards the end. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, I thought personally, I thought the jigsaw room scene ran a little bit long okay and i i i it it certainly added peril and it adds an interesting uh, new feature for the tardis to have this this new gallifreyan device in there but i just felt the scenes inside the tardis for first off that sarah didn't actually close the door i thought was kind of weak sauce I thought it would have been better if it was a shadow that had slipped in when she opened the door or something rather than a bony finger keeping the door from shutting. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I, I Honestly, I thought Harry was written pretty well. Sarah, not so much, oh. I, I think. Uh, I think some bits were... <laughs> were were good but uh, uh generally i thought i thought he was a little bit hard on sarah and uh interesting for this being written uh in you know 20 2018 20 you know in the, the 20 almost two decades into the 21st century opposed to the early to mid 1970s sarah was never referred to as a girl other no. than old, old girl old boy type fa- fashion but right, so that right so stylistically this was not a terrence dicks <laughs> No, that's true. Uh, that's true. Vo- vocabulary. That's true. Vocabulary bit. Yeah. So, yeah. That, so I, I, mm, I guess I wasn't a big fan of the jigsaw puzzle room and all the scenes from the Sarah Jane adventures and. Yeah. Let's move ahead to the um to the hell or the hell dimension or whatever the, the scratchman scratchman mm-hmm. times. A lot of uh, a lot of cameos. A lot of cameos. Do- uh, some doctors. Lo- a lot of doctors walk in, including, mm-hmm. well, basically all of the doctors. As far, well, most of the no, doctors. Well, we, I the think important we, doctors. Well, we have the first first three doctors. We have a, a crow-skulled uh, Hartnell. We have a, a kind of shabby second doctor, Troughton. And then we have Wurzel Gummidge, <laughs> who, look, uh, who looks good at it. So yeah. the doctor comments, hey, it's a good look for him. But then we also have Jody makes a big appearance. Yeah, that I guess um, reading around has been where the most uh, uh, outcry from a certain segment of oh, fandom. Really, where they is just that put the oh, put, God, the, put the book aside and it's sort of like you knew that was coming. It yeah, just it, it's good. They're, it's they're gonna. I thought it was Whitaker, some of Whitaker's best best work. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so did I. Absolutely. But there was also, I mean, there was Tennant. Tennant was in there as well, as far as was I was he. I, I, yeah, I in the um, in the in the dinner party scene, um, there was definitely. I'm pretty sure it was either the either Tennant or or Smith. Um, mm, there was certainly okay. a a young male doctor running around frantically. I guess uh, if it oh been, right okay I, mean, I guess yeah. if it had been Smith it would have had a fez on so then I would have been able to so I'm 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 thinking it is David Tennant 
But I thought that's good. I could have done with because I'm a fan. I could have done with more of that kind of self indulgence, to be honest. Mm, I thought it was just enough, and uh, it, it was a rel- it was a suggestion of their editor to put that stuff in. I I liked how the Whitaker Doctor saves Tom from becoming a beetle. I, I like that bit, and I didn't. Yes. Gr- I and I honestly I didn't clock on it until the epilogue, where it was explained to me that that I just thought it was a fan. I thought this was Tom Baker um, dealing with how fandom keeps him going and has saved him from being this, oh yeah uh, okay that hideous works. creature. And I just that thought, works, yeah. I just thought I did not. You know, you would think the rainbow striped or the ra- rainbow blouse. I think was what uh, threw me. It wasn't the uh, rainbow striped shirt. It was a rainbow blouse. And right. so I'm like, hmm, I can just... I was thinking like an Osgood-type fan rather than Whitaker. Which it could have been, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's an easy mistake to make. But but yeah, it made sense as, as a product line for Doctor Who in 2019. It makes total sense that you would have Whitaker in there somehow. You right. You would not have her not in it, put it that way. Yeah, I, I think it would be... And, you know, if this book came out three years earlier, it would have been Capaldi. And I think, actually, I'm trying to find the page. I mean, I think Capaldi's in it as well, in that dinner party scene. I, mm. there's like it a, could, could well be that all there's the like doctors a, There's like around. a cross doctor with white hair, I think he talks mm-hmm. about. Or, yeah, you know, one, one who yeah. looks cross. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean... The, I, the, I, the, well, uh, the dinner party, I thought was very interesting too just that being ignored was the pain the penalty that drove the doctor to, to the brink or drove tom baker to the brink of beetledom right right i mean i think there was another i'm actually on the page i think there was a nice again a, what i'm taking is like a dig against pertwee because there's a very um obvious is the, the very obvious use of the word chitinous um <laughs> which of course famously was mispronounced as chitinous by by the third, by the third Doctor, I'm wondering if this is more uh, James Goss than Tom Baker. Oh God, yeah, no, no, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's not Tom. The, the, yeah, yeah not the, Tom the, Baker, the knowledge of the show yeah. and the depth and the latitude that uh, yeah. th- that's all James Goss, I think. Oh, or, absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely, because yeah, yeah. uh, James Goss is a you know, encyclopedia when it comes to Doctor Who knowledge, uh, as as we all are, yes. <laughs> Yes. So I, I thought, it, you know, the book two begins just with a love letter to the TARDIS and Tom Baker, the doctor, just how much he enjoys the ship and right. how much they have the symbiotic or the relationship and how listening to him read it, the doctor saying, well, the reason why we want to go to hell is because it'll be fun. And then he, the ship's engines chuckle and then he goes, got you. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, you know, just calling yeah. it a you know, plucky blue box. And his, Yeah, no, it's very good. Yep. The scenes in the TARDIS, the description of the TARDIS, the doctor's interaction with the TARDIS, I think were spot on and some of the best we've ever, ever seen in Doctor Who canon. Absolutely. No, yeah, yeah, very, uh, uh, as I said, you know, the TARDIS is written extremely well. The well. idea of Sharon, the taxi driver, I thought was really nice riff of the ferryman in hell. Yes, uh, yes. I mean, a little bit obvious. Uh, well, it was actually a, a it was actually a boatman in the '70s script. So having a taxi driver, I thought was yeah, a yeah. step up in creativity. Yes, it's more more of the kind of you know sort of base level classical knowledge coming in there. Yeah, yeah. I think every time you go to hell in popular culture there's always a boatman or a taxi driver or whoever who's like Yeah. 
you know. Well, it, it it had to be there, but having it being a taxi driver, I thought was yeah, yeah, was good. You know, because that's what takes you across into hell. It's the ferryman. It's the ferryman. It's yeah, showing the ferryman. Yeah, yep. You know, so he was starting to lose his audience when he goes into hell, and uh, with the floating sky castle and stuff. So it, the audience being the time lords, right? And right, the, the right. comment that the doctor makes that even geriatric sharks can sense blood in the water, I thought was a very <laughs> apt description of the time lords in a listening to him that they were all out for his blood and right. all old old geezers <laughs> yeah yeah the, yeah they are they are those um the the the, the, the very much the time that yeah they're the time lords of the deadly assassin they're, yeah which is 70s time lords which is perfect i think i always like so, yeah. always like those yeah the Time Lords of the Deadly Assassin. Yeah. Uh, the Cyber Leader. Cyber Leader's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I thought it was a little bit forced that, you know, obviously in this hell dimension, uh, Scratchman makes you do the things that you're most scared of. Mm-hmm. Cybermen are most scared of helping people. Right. So the Cyberman then helps people. I thought that was a little, a little bit forced, but, you know, amusing enough and helpful, obviously, mm-hmm. because... It's the Sarah it's, and Sarah. Yeah, yeah that's the Cyberman. The Cyberman is get who's the one who gets them out of the the. What, there's a lot Quick of <laughs> there's a lot of being in peril. Um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of falling off things and being grabbed by things and falling into quicksand, which again is entirely appropriate for it's 1970s Doctor Who for a hell dimension in 1970s in, in 1970s Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, did go. I felt it went on a little bit. It's like okay, mm-hmm. I know they're in. I th- I well, I thought the threats were. Perhaps like Shah on the taxi driver were not unexpected threats, right? Uh, which again is like seventies Doctor Who, which is fine. Yeah, but I, I yeah. was getting a little bit like, uh, what are they going to fall over now? What did you think of the lizard torture, Dennis? That didn't seem very fitting to me. It seemed a little too. What is it? The Running Man? Uh, a Marathon Man. Marathon. Yeah, yeah. Marathon yeah. Man with um with Laurence Olivier is the yeah. is the dentist. Um, I again here I think oh well, it's obvious Tom's been to the dentist recently, um <laughs> and not had a good time, so he's decided to write it into his book. That's what was my takeaway there. I mean, all of this is you know Tom's had a run in with some moths. Um, he's been to the dentist. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's as you said, it's autobiographical. It's autobiographical. It is. I mean, <laughs> to to the point that he references a party in Soho, I believe. If I he does, yes. I, I again, I wish I'd put more post-it notes in this book, but yes, absolutely, he does. Yeah. Well, yep. Let me see if I can find. Yeah, here. Yeah, here it is. Perhaps I could do something with that. Only again, the board seemed to be keep shifting—a strange jumble of different pintables, like someone had run through a Soho bar gathering up the best bits. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So that's the that's uh, scratches board of all little uh, damp matches yes. or dim matches. So. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely, I think, a very, very referential. Yeah. But, and to the point where they have the doctor, Tom Baker, dressed up in a pinstripe suit, which he wore in the 70s and 80s in, in at the party. Yes. And I, you know, you know, I was getting a very strong vibe there, actually, of the, um, oh, is it the 1976 Doctor Who annual, um, which uses... The photo references for that BBC annual are all basically photo references with Tom not in his costume. So mm-hmm. the Doctor wears a variety of kind of suits and kind of jumpers and things. Right. Um, I was getting a very, very strong 1976 Doctor Who annual um, vibe from that. So very applicable again for the time period. Yeah, which is one of the one of the one of the weirdest of all of. 
<laughs> and those albums, those annuals are pretty, pretty weird. But it's that that is actually one of the weirdest ones. Right. I just, you know, just a more, uh, I have another little note of autobiographical detail or what, what you would expect Tom to be talking about himself. He's sort of like, I pride myself on my voice. I'm sorry, but I do. My voice could restart a car. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. the just the the perils uh, that it kind of reminded me with the insects, the kind of a Hieronymus Bosch type uh, landscape where people were morphing into insects, or they would have human heads off of animal appendages. Right. And um, the the whole the whole thing uh, with the scratchman being boring is that the you know the, the temptation scene and then the doctor won't join scratchman because he's boring yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> businessman in his suit and tie exactly mm-hmm. yeah 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 and then just what was horror or what was hell for the doctor for tom baker is that he wasn't the center of attention right and, and being ignored that that's right what, that's what broke him right 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 yeah so. oh, again you know completely as Which would say. never happen. Well, it did happen. It happened in the in the wilderness years, like you mentioned in the story in the bookstore, where he, yes. no one else was there for the signing. Yeah, but so that, in the 80s that, and that, 90s, that yeah. is Tom Baker's hell. Yes, it's like I am no longer. No, he, he's a he's a quantum creature. You know, he's only exists <laughs> if you observe him, um, or whatever. You know, that's Tom Baker. You know, he is a typical typical actor, basically. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sense always likes to be the center of attention. Yeah. So sort of the penultimate scene where Harry, Sarah, and the doctor and yeah. the villagers, the scarecrow villagers, uh, Sophonista's cohorts are facing down basically wicker and scarecrow versions of all the monsters that the doctor has faced. Which, again, I thought was very good. I mean, again, they, they could have gone a lot more overboard and the fan in me was kind of wanting them to. But actually, they, <laughs> I think they pitched it nicely with you know, trying to recognize which monsters were which. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty good. I enjoyed that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the kind of, you know, the nesting consciousness and uh, various other monsters were kind of popping up and like, oh, yes, that's what that is. Right. I thought that was well done. Right. Yeah, giant scarecrows, wicker slugs. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And this, this I thought captured Sarah a lot better was, you know, her, her saying, if I start screaming, I shall never stop. Right. And, which is very, I think, Liz Sladen, where yeah. she wasn't a screamer uh, other than a few bits and then how they introduced the three three various versions of the doctor uh, with harry going honestly doctor uh, what, what did you do to fight those three old codgers for a raffle ticket or something right and then the doctor going uh, very somber uh harry those are my former selves and i i it, it was a nice bit of writing to introduce them and then uh, <laughs> and then the doctor describing uh, his abductors as a tribute act Right, <laughs> which, which is hilarious, really. Cosplayers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's as I said. It it was a good. It was a um. It was a good enough read. It was a good enough read. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think you made the right choice. In fact, I <laughs> I probably will be at some point in the future, maybe thinking about borrowing that from you. Yeah. I I think I think it this this was something very much. It was it's Tom's thing, and and to have Tom read it really, I think that would have been a a, a more satisfying experience than the experience that mm-hmm. I had. Yeah, well, just even the additions that he would make, just the laughter, the off the cuff remarks, but then it ends with a, a note from Sarah Jane Smith, and so there's a bit that he has, which isn't part of the the book. Right. I'll play the clip now. I've a note written by someone very dear to me. I wish she were here to read it herself, but 
It's been ever so long since I started this. And now it's finally finished. She's departed on a voyage all of her own. But I don't think things would be complete, would they, without a note from Sarah Jane Smith. Hmm? In some places, and it's always with these recent interviews that he's been giving like in the last you know, five years, he he's very reflective on his own mortality, as many people in their eighties are. But right. it's it's like almost everything he does, it's like he's saying goodbye, or like this might be the last time that I speak with you, and you know Which, we have our memories, and it's it's, right. it's 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 always it always kind of brings a tear to my eye. It always yeah. just makes me anticipating the loss that we'll feel. That's true. That's true. Though it is also a way of attracting attention as well. I mean, if you. You yes. know, if you if if the the main thing you talk about is how you're going to die soon, that automatically makes people pay more attention to you. Um, mm-hmm. It's sad, you know. It 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 is. I think Tom in, is enjoying the idea of how sad everyone will be when he's dead. <laughs> um, he is really, really looking forward to the outpouring of national grief that will occur when he dies. That is something that probably keeps him going, to be honest. Um, (laughs) It's one of the main things, one of the main joys he has in life currently is imagining how great it will be when he's dead. (laughs) Well, I don't know. (laughs) I, I don't know. I I mean, I think when he was trying to explain to the time lords, what, what he, he, the doctor fears. Right. And he's going, well, perhaps I fear the monsters. Perhaps I fear losing my friends. Perhaps I fear not being the doctor. Right. And then a little side note saying perhaps that's a little closer to the truth. Yeah. I don't know. I can't get into his mind, but, you know, being raised Roman Catholic and with the, you know, of course, <laughs> the doctor's ultimate foe is going to be the devil. You know, that, that's, that's, of course. that, that, of course. that works. Of course. Uh, and just, just like the side comments where, uh, uh, like Harry, Harry was raised in Church of England, and he always felt insecure around true piety and stuff like that, and just right. a, a celebration or something looked like a Christmas mass. There's a lot of a Catholic, a Roman Catholic, I think, uh, imagery or, th- or or thoughts that Tom has right. that kind of sweep up into this, and so I I don't know if it's a if it's the old ham actor. You know, they'll really miss me when I'm gone. Nothing, you know, my greatest scene will be my death that yeah. type thing. I don't know if that's how Tom Baker is. I do think he really enjoys being this beloved national figure. And he's, and now yeah. that he's not a jobbing actor, he fully can embrace that he is the doctor. Yeah, I'm very much reminded of another famous Catholic British kind of, you know, actor, comedian figure, um, Spike Milligan, who... Um, mm famously on his uh, well you can go and see his tombstone his tombstone says i told you i was ill um <laughs> that's his epitaph um there's right. a there is a you know there's a there's a kind of a delight in a kind of public self-pity um right. which which i think is very very typical of a particular kind of public figure which obviously tom is and i think yes. that's and i think he deserves it i mean i, I yes. i'm oh, no yes. way there's no way meant to be any kind of criticism of him um i think you know he's earned He's earned what he has, and what he has is is that is that everyone will be devastated when he goes, mm-hmm. um, because um, he's just such an important person in everyone's lives, basically. Well, there you go, Scratch Man. So I would fully recommend listening to the audiobook version read by Tom Baker himself. I I think I agree with you. It's not meant to be read 
silently alone in the dark. <laughs> um, I would also recommend that too. Um, what's so what's what's the price on that set of CDs? Let me check what uh, the current price is. Amazon Co UK here because the book cost me a very reasonable sixteen dollars. Seventeen sixteen. Seventeen pounds sixteen pence. Oh, so it's not hugely more expensive mm, then. No, it's more no. like twenty bucks with shipping. It wasn't too bad at all. So, and uh, and who NA may have it already. Right, so. right, 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 right. If you like to have books on the shelves, which I do, um, then obviously buy the book. Um, but I would concur with David here. I would uh, splash out some extra pounds, some extra dollars, um, and get yourself Tom reading it because. Um, as we've just been expounding upon, um, Tom will not be around forever reading things to mm-hmm. us. So no. the more we have him reading things to us, the more, the better it is. Yes, yes, agreed, agreed. Yeah. Yep. So uh, I guess next week we will be uh, wrenching ourselves out of the 1970s or our 40-year retrospective uh, rose-colored glasses view of the 1970s and uh, going to another Cyberman story. Silver Nemesis. Yeah, anniversary. What, 25th Excellent. anniversary story. Excellent, yes. Doctor. Excellent, Doctor. Ho, ho, ho. And, I uh, am the Cyberman leader. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's just... Three, sh- three, three episodes of sheer... Sheer uh, bliss. Sheer, sheer bliss. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think the point of this rewatch is to find something good in stories that we possibly don't enjoy that much. So we will see. We'll see what <laughs> yeah, we we'll can see. do. We'll see yep. what we can do. Yeah, yeah. All right, until uh, next time, I have been talking with Ben. And I've been talking with David. And, uh, Scratch Man! Scratch Man! I lit up from Reno, I was trailed by 20 hounds. Didn't get to sleep that night till the morning came around. Sit out running, but I take my time. A friend of the devil is a friend of mine. I get home before daylight, just might get some sleep. Tonight Ran into the devil, baby Lonely 20 bills Spent the night in Utah In a cave up in the hills Set out running But I take my time A friend of the devil is a friend of mine I get home before daylight Just might get some sleep Tonight